Well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your beautiful bells and your piano and your singing and your scripture reading and your worship leading. All of you singing those carols. This makes me want to say Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> so super glad that you are here and you decided to take a little part of Christmas Eve of all the nights in the world to spend with us. What a crazy, wonderful time of the year it is. Were, were you this way? When I was a kid, I had this how did you, an indescribable joy about Christmas, uh, a tickle in my gut, a uh, longing in my soul. Whoa, how will you describe it? Did you have that feeling? Of course, we knew we were getting to, with friends and we were going to get with family and we knew there were going to be good things to eat and we knew that there were going to be great songs to sing and we knew that there were going to be fun things to do and we knew there were going to be presents, of course. I remember one year, the thing to have for a boy my age was a toy that was back in the, when they were doing the, 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 the moon race, and the toy was a, a, a lunar lander, it was called, it was called, its name was Johnny Astro. If you Google this, when you get home, you can find an old advertisement, of, and, and the guy comes on and he goes, Johnny Astro, like, you can land on the moon. And I was like, I got to have that. No matter what it costs my parents, if they have to sell the house, I need Johnny Astro. And so a couple of weeks before Christmas, I was um, going through my mom's closet just to make sure that there wasn't anything there that needed to be done. Um, and I found a box. I, I, it was up on a top shelf at the very back of the shelf. Because when you're looking for things to be done, you need to be very thorough, right? And, and you know what the box said? Johnny Astro. Right? You didn't say it right. It's Johnny Astro. It's the way the guy says it on the thing. It's as if it's the most... And what it was was a plastic toy with plastic dials that didn't move. And it, it was just basically a little fan. And then it was sold with three little balloons that had little plastic cages you could tape to the bottom of the balloons, and you'd put the balloon over the fan, like you would any fan in any balloon. If you held it just right, it would stay in the air for a while. But on the advertisement, it looked like you could just make it do anything you wanted to. And so I was super grateful to have my Johnny Astro, and I spent the time between Christmas and New Year's trying to make that thing fly. What I remember most, though, is that my mom and my dad loved me enough that they wanted to express their love by giving me a very valuable gift that cost them a lot of money back in the day. But Christmas has got to be bigger than the gifts that people give us. And Christmas is deeper, you know, than the traveling that we get to do on a good year or the great food that we get to eat. There's something bigger, something longer, something deeper, something more profound, something that never has a beginning, never has an end, and it involves God, and it involves man. And that's why Christmas is bigger than just like childhood emotions. When you read any of the stories of Christmas, it's like this. For instance, we read a number of the stories of Christmas tonight. We read about the shepherds and such. We read about Joseph. We read about a prophecy from the Old Testament 
One of the, one of the stories of Christmas that we cherish is the story that you would find in Luke chapter 1, the story of the angel Gabriel, another place in the Bible that says he stands in the presence of God, coming to a place called Nazareth, halfway around the world from where we are right now, and giving a message to a young, unmarried, engaged woman named Mary. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 1. This is an amazing story. In the sixth month of the angel, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Are, are you paying attention? God sent an angel to a girl. And, it's, and, and it says, to a virgin, an unmarried, an unmarried girl, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And, and what was the virgin's name? Mary. You're right. It was Mary. He came to her, and here's what he said. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. If you were like a 15-year-old, unmarried, peasant girl that lived in a little humble village in the Middle East, and an angel appeared to you in the night, I assume, or sometime, and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. How would you feel about that? You would probably be a little bit conflicted. And she was, it says, she was greatly troubled at this thing and tried to discern what sort of greeting, like, what does this mean? This might be. She's greatly troubled at the saying, trying to discern what sort of greeting this would be. Well, the angel perceived that she was upset. And so the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, which means Savior. The Bible says in a different place, not here. He'll be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. He's the Son of God. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There will be no end. It'd be a shocking thing. That'd be shocking to be a young girl and to have an angel visit you from heaven and tell you anything. It would be super shocking, wouldn't it? If he said, you, even though you're not married, you're going to have a baby. And he is going to be the son of the most high God. He's going to sit on the throne of the Jewish throne, on David's throne. And his kingdom will never end. Okay, this is bigger, right, than going to grandma's, as wonderful as that is. Getting presents, as wonderful as that is. Singing amazing songs, as wonderful as that is. There's something cosmic going on here. She asked him a very natural question, question which any young, unmarried, pure woman would ask. How am I going to have a baby? I'm not married. Let's just say it like that. I'm not married. How am I going to have a baby? And the angel is going to say to her, it's going to be a miracle from God. It's going to be a miracle. Here's, what, here's the way he says it. The angel says to her, answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He says, for the second time, you are going to have a baby, and he will be the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son who is in the sixth month with her who was before called barren. They couldn't have a baby. And then the angel says, because nothing 
is what? Anybody know how this, what the angel said? Nothing is impossible with God. What a shocking visit from the angel. Now, what to me is super interesting about this story, well, there's a lot of things that are interesting about the story. One of them is this. What does Mary do? I believe that Mary was a godly girl. She, Luke records that she burst forth into praise, and her praise, her prayers, is full of scripture. I think she, I think Mary, this young teenage girl, had already given her heart to God. And then the angel comes to her and says, even though you're not married, there's going to be a miracle and you're going to have a baby, the Son of God. And she answers, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She basically says to the angel, Whatever God wants with me, I'll do. So I believe that Mary had already given her heart to God, but now she's dedicated everything to God, including the shame and question that would come and and all what this would mean and the pain that would come later and all of that. And yet this profound privilege that she would be, that she would have, Jesus would be born to her. She gave her heart to God. Can I ask you a question tonight? Have you given your heart to God? Does God have your heart and and beyond that have you devoted everything to him i think it's christmas eve it's christmas that's on the eve of christmas and jesus came into the world to save us from our sins and it would be altogether appropriate for us to say to to rethink that god do you do you have my heart Corrie ten boom who was uh, in a a german uh, in a prisoner of war camp for women as you know, and when she was as a believer, when she was released, she went around the world preaching the gospel. She said, when I think of Christmas Eves, Christmas feasts, Christmas songs, and Christmas stories, I know they do not represent a short, transient gladness. Like a, they're not little passing things. They're not like a childhood emotion. Instead, they speak of a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And then she quotes John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, die, go to hell, but have everlasting life. Have you given him your heart is bigger than just the sights and the smells and the sweetness and the emotions of Christmas. It's a, it's a much bigger, longer lasting, more important thing. That Does he have your heart? When I was a boy, I gave my heart to the Lord. I did it when I was just a little boy. My parents described the gospel to me. They explained it over and over again. And and I told my dad I wanted to give my heart to God. I wanted to be a Jesus follower. My dad said, well, you can get down on your knees by the couch and pray. And I, I got on my knees and I prayed. I gave my heart to the Lord. And then as I went on, I, you know, I did a lot of things that were wrong. My parents regularly pointed out the things that I did wrong. I did lots of things wrong all the time. I found it really hard not to do things that were wrong. I thought maybe I need to get saved again. But my parents taught me you only get saved one time. They're right. That's what the Bible says. I went to a revival service in South Bend, Indiana, my grandparents' church, and, and they had this, these preachers that were preaching, and they were like really serious preachers. They were like, they didn't smile at all. Uh, they, I watched the two of them. Matter of fact, here's an interesting little story. One of them was named Dale Mead. He's a very good man, but very he's serious. He's old school. That's the way they used to do all, very all the time. Pastors didn't smile too much. Later on, he would go to Fremont First Baptist, and later on, after he was the pastor there, I was the pastor there. 
But anyway, that's, that's a little rabbit, this little Christmas Eve rabbit trail for you. He was up there looking serious. The revival guy was looking serious. I'm like, I better go up there, get saved again. You know, so I go forward. I go, I need to get saved. They said, do you believe this and that? Yes, I do. They said, well, you're, you're already saved. Here's what you need to do. And they gave me this language. They said, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. That's what they said. No, that's a good way of saying it. Have you found this to be true? You, have you given your heart to God? Most of you have, I think. Many of you have, probably. I, I, God has my heart. And then you have to give it to him again. Not, not to be saved again, but to dedicate yourself again. To, to remind yourself that, God, I just think that's why we've created this whole service tonight. Because at Christmas time is a wonderful time. To say to God again, God, here's my heart again. Here it is again. You have my heart. You, you have my heart, God. I uh, was in my study and I was thinking about this message and I actually was getting drowsy. So I have a, a really comfortable chair in my office and I went over there to meditate. And I was halfway in and out of sleep when a beautiful song came to my mind. A song that I love a lot. It's, uh, it's by a musician, a church musician named J. Johann Sebastian Bach, J.S. Bach. It's, uh, it's Cantata 169. They, they had creative names for things back then. Cantata 169. And translated from the German, an English translation would be, God alone shall have my heart. And I've always loved that. God alone shall have my heart. I thought about you. I woke up, I went over, and I did a little bit of research. I wondered, I thought, some people say that Bach was a church musician that got paid for his music, but that God didn't really have his heart, that he wasn't really a devout believer. But an interesting thing happened, and this is a, it's a thing I discovered, and it has a little Michigan connection. There was a pastor from out west that came to Frankenmuth, Michigan, for a conference of the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church in the late 1930s. And he stayed with a cousin who lived in a farmhouse in the countryside outside of Frankenmuth. And they got to talking, and his cousin said to him, when we were in Philadelphia, I bought an old German Bible. I'd like you to see it. He showed it to him, and the pastor looked at it, and he said, this is signed by J.S. Bach. He said, well, this is only one of three volumes they went to the attic, they got the other two volumes. This was a, a famous study Bible, three huge volumes like this. It's, it's in a box like this, big. They discovered that this was an authentic Bible that was owned by J.S. Bach in the 18th century, in the latter part of the 18th century. They did handwriting analysis and ink analysis. Uh, they wanted, the, the, the German government wanted, wanted it to be sent back, but this is in the late 30s, and this devout old Lutheran farmer said, I'm not sending Bach's Bible to Hitler. I'm not sending Bach's Bible to, to the Nazis. So he donated it to a, a Concordia Seminary. And after World War II, they did this analysis and discovered that it was genuine, and that it had over 300 notations by Bach. Some of them showed a great, a deep devotion to God. One of the things he said, and to paraphrase it, was God is present in his grace and the singing of his people. Bach gave God his heart. And because of that, he also dedicated his skill. And the whole world has been blessed over and over again. And now for you, can I ask you this? Will you give God your heart tonight? Or would you give God your heart again tonight? When, when the kids were little, 
you know, we have eight kids, four, four boys, four girls. I love saying that. Um, when they were little, we, we didn't have much money, and back then you didn't have the digital music. You, you had to actually get, you know, cassette tapes or, or, or audio tapes of some kind or CDs. I would go to the library and uh, prepare yourself, Charles. Yeah, I would go to the library and I would get tapes. I got a tape and brought it home. It was actually a recording by Julie Andrews where she sang a Christmas song, a beautiful Christmas song called In the Bleak Midwinter. And it's a, it's a, it's a poem by Christina Rossetti. And in it, she says, in the poem, you've heard it, she says, I'm poor. I don't, I don't have anything to give you. If I was a shepherd, I'd give a lamb. If I was a wise man, I'd do my part. What can I give you? What does she say? I'll give you my heart. Tonight, Chuck is going to sing this song for us. And would you meditate on that? Say, quietly meditate and then we'll have a beautiful symbolism that we'll all participate in before we finish tonight and give you a chance to say to god god again god you you alone should have my heart god you have you have my heart Chuck. in the bleak I see wind made moan Her stood hard as iron Water like a stone Snow had fallen Snow on snow Snow on snow on snow In the bleak I will give my heart. 